George Simpson is a senior film reporter for Express in the UK. He's been writing about James Bond for many years, among other entertainment topics as well. George wrote an article for the January 3rd, 2024 edition of Express titled James Bond is set to enter public domain. What this means for the next 007 movie, where he talked about James Bond entering a public domain. What does that mean for EM Productions, the world of James Bond, the Amazon acquisition of MGM, and thus the Bond Library? So we thought, hey, let's talk to George and see what this is all about and how it may impact what Ian Production does in the near future. Hi, this is Dan. And Tom. Oh, SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Your spy movie team bringing you the best coverage of spy movies in the world for almost five years. All right, we're happy to welcome George Simpson to our show. Welcome, George. Thank you. Happy to be here. We're very happy to have you. So, George, how long have you been writing about James Bond? And give us a little background of yourself. Yeah, so I, I've been a, a, a film and music and theatre journalist books as well uh, since 2016. Um, I've, I've always loved James Bond since I was a little boy. And when I was told it was one of our core topics when I was originally hired, I was like, Brilliant. I get to write about Bond <laughs> oh, all, darn. The all the time. And since since then, I've been on three James Bond-related press trips. The first one was to Solden in Austria to the um, James Bond installation. So it, we did that. And then I've, I've been to Jamaica to the Hotel Half Moon where they filmed yeah. uh, Live and Let Die. Yes. And just a couple of years ago, I went to the Faroe Islands to visit the spot where Daniel Craig's James Bond died, and there is a tombstone there. So I went to pay my respects. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. Yeah. Very good. That's super. Yeah, we've been right. we've been to a few few of the locations. We haven't hit those three. If you yeah, haven't yeah. been up the Pete's Gloria yet, you've got to do that. <laughs> yeah, Pete's Gloria is fantastic. Love to. One of the best in the world. All <laughs> right. So let, let's go back to the article. So let's start with the fact that this article talks about the fact that Bond is going to be going into the public domain in 2035. I would like to start at kind of a high level here and just can you explain to us what public domain is and are there differences across various countries? Yes, so public domain is when some kind of IP after, often it's about 100 years um, or sometimes it's a bit less depending on the country, depending on the location, uh, suddenly you can no longer claim copyright on it. I mean, often what happens is with an author or a creator, when they die, the rights go to their estate, so their children or, or whoever they left the estate to reaps in the profits of the franchise. Mm -hmm. But eventually, most countries realize, hmm, can't keep that going on forever. Eventually, it's just going to be part of history, and everyone can have a go with it if they want. So every 1st of January, it's called Public Domain Day because something enters the public domain for the first time. So the big one this year was Mickey Mouse. Right. But... There are different variations of this because th that doesn't mean that Mickey Mouse is a free-for-all. It only means that Mickey Mouse from Steamboat Willie in that original representation is in the public domain. Hence, there's a terrible horror film being made with it. Right. Whereas, whereas Disney will continue to have public domain over later incarnations of Mickey Mouse until those um, go out of copyright. And there's often like legal disputes about how long this can go on for. So. Disney actually ran out of copyright on that Mickey Mouse a few decades ago. They could, they lobbied Congress to extend that. And eventually they did it a second time. The argument being, I, I presume, 
100 years, let's get it for the 100th anniversary. 100th anniversary is over, so now it's in the public domain. Other ones that are more recent would be like Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. uh, ones coming up would be the original Batman and Superman. But of course, it's going to happen to Ian Fleming's James Bond too. But of course, that doesn't mean, therefore, anybody can make a James Bond movie uh, because not it's just it's just the books, not the James Bond film franchise. Okay, so it's if there was a move if there was a movie made off a novel, let's say like for, from Russia with Love, mm. somebody could right now redo that based if they based it off the, the novel, not off of Richard Maybaum's treatment of it. Well, from twenty thirty five. Yeah. yeah, that's what that's, yeah. right. Right when this happens, now would they be able to create like EN Productions does now? They have the rights to create new James Bond content, not based on Ian Fleming's books. Are we talking here only the novels that Ian Fleming wrote and the short stories that Ian Fleming wrote? Um, that... Yes. So, so just I, I believe it's just the books are going out of copyright. Okay. I mean, they already are out of copyright in Canada and Japan for some reason. I don't particularly know why. Um, there was a, a Casino Royale Japanese play with a female Bond a, a <laughs> few years ago. But these things aren't taken that seriously. I think there was some kind of fan book in Canada. So you have to have a big, bold vision to take on the official James Bond franchise, which let's not let's not forget has happened twice already. We had mm -hmm. we had the David Niven Casino Royale and we had yes. Never Say Never Again. Right. Um, right. Because of because of copy, yeah, because of the copyright around Casino Royale and Thunderball. So, yes. yeah. All right. So since this is based on the novels, then the Aston Martin, the Bond theme, that kind of stuff won't enter. It's really the content of the novels that we that we have to worry about in 2035. That's right. So okay. I'll give you another example. When I went to visit James Bond's grave, the tombstone originally said 007, like with the logo. Mm -hmm. And so the, the farmer who owned the land had to get rid of that because that was under copyright. But the name James Bond isn't. Yeah, okay. that's right. Yeah, that's strange. We uh, actually interviewed the man, Joe Karoff, who created the 007 logo. <laughs> He's 102 years old. Wow. He lives in New York. We just did it uh, a few months ago. And he is so <laughs> with it. It's, man, if, I'm, if I get to Dark 102, guy. I want to be as alive as that guy is. It's just Fantastic. amazing. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. All right, George, we've all been wondering what Ian Productions will do now that in no time to die. Well, like we kind of mentioned, everyone dies, including Bond. <laughs> <laughs> so it's time for a lot of people to die. There's a plethora of talk about who will be the next James Bond, when this will be announced, and what period of Bond's life it's going to cover and everything. But yikes, underlying all of this is the simple fact that, like you point out in your article, the author's novels, which are already out of copyright in some countries, like you mentioned, Canada and Japan, will be fully in the public domain in 2035. So this is huge and something that a lot of us Bond fans have been kind of ignoring, really. We're not paying attention to it. But it has a tremendous impact on what might happen in the short term with James Bond movies and what will happen certainly in the long term. So tell us what, what you think about that. What's going to happen in the short term and what do you really think will happen long term? Hmm. I think in the short term, well, the short term is the next um, the next decade, isn't it? So maybe they'll get a movie out by then. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, so I think my, my prediction would be the next decade is who are the next the next Bond's period and they're going to make the most of having that copyright and 
that period. And but then I think they'll probably be already thinking about what are we going to do when we have those uh, those competitors because they will happen and they've already had it before. But it survived. You know, in 1983 we had. Sean Connery returning in Never Say Never yeah. against Roger Moore's Octopussy. And it's one of the reasons that Roger Moore was convinced to come back in Octopussy because they didn't want someone like James Brolin, who I, I interviewed about almost becoming Bond, going up against the OG Sean Connery. So I think what will happen in the short term is not a lot. It'll They'll just make the most of the period. But in the long term, I think they'll be emphasizing we are the official uh, James Bond film franchise. If you want the the theme tune, if you want the gun barrel, you want everything you were used to, that they've kind of invented from adapting Ian Fleming apart from Ian Fleming, then then come come to us. But there will be rivals. I I I think it's inevitable there will be, and I welcome this, um, direct adaptations of the Fleming novels in period setting, which is something I would love to see. I mean, there were all That's these it. rumors recently about. Christopher Nolan being in talks as a big Bond fan, but he's he recently poo-pooed that um, when interviewed about it at the Golden Globes. But, I mean, Nolan can just wait a decade and then he can just do that. And mm-hmm. and I'd be perfectly fine for him to adapt a James Bond novel without the Bond theme, just as something new uh, in, sure. in a period setting. It'd be interesting. It'd be different. Yeah. I have a question too now. Well, if it's based on the... James Bond novels by Ian Fleming. Let's look at Moonraker, for instance. Yeah. Look at what they did in Moonraker from Ian Productions versus what's in the book. Mm. I mean, what's in the book? A rocket goes up, it comes back down. That's the idea. Mm. <laughs> and boom, that's that. It was yeah. well done. I loved reading that book. It's one of the best, really, Ian Fleming novels. I think it was a great read. But it would be pretty boring if they had done that in 1979, right? Here goes a rocket, it comes down. <laughs> wow, when we've been to the moon. So will people, other production companies adapting the Fleming novels, will they be able to have that flexibility to change the story like Ian Productions has? They they might not, right? They they have to do the book. That's a really good question. I guess they would have to, I guess that's where it comes into uh, legal disputes if there are ones, and it'd be slightly open to interpretation of what you can argue in a liable case. But I, I imagine they'd try and step away from the uh, 79 Roger Moore story and try and focus more on on the Fleming book as much as possible, albeit at risk of a cease and desist. Yeah, yeah. I that, think would stink that, good... that would stink to put $200 million into a movie and get a cease and desist on it. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> so. oh, I think it'd be interesting to see what the legal battle is there because Ian Production has the right to... To do whatever they want when they ran out of Ian Fleming material, they could make up their own for James Bond. Will others be able to do that, or will they have to stick to the novels? And it sounds like they may have to stick to the novels. Yeah, it's good, it's going to be interesting legal, too, because like stuff. Never, never say never again is has a very different feel as a Bond movie because it doesn't have the themes. Right, mm. the music's not right. I mean, there's there's production value and stuff, but. In general, the, the, the story's okay, because it's Thunderball, right? Yeah. But the fact that you don't have the trappings of what we expect, the gun barrel or whatever, from James Bond, it definitely loses something. So it's going to be interesting then how these companies, and you're seeing this with a lot of stuff coming into public domain right now, people are trying to figure out what can we do with this? 
And what, yeah, A, what can yeah. we get away with? And what, B, what's going to be something the audience is going to want if we're doing a quote unquote remake, if you will? Yeah, it's a bit of a minefield, I think. And and you'd have to be really loyal, lawyered up, I think, to to go for it post 35. And for, for all we know, um, I, yeah, I'm no legal expert. I'm just going by on what I've sure. researched. But I, 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 yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they seek to um, extend the copyright in some way over certain aspects that if they could argue it in court and and get yes. away with it, yeah, to, to keep competitors at bay. Yeah. I never really understood that, why the creativity of an individual writer, for instance, would be public domain. I mean, what does that serve, uh, really? Uh, I mean, you could see with medical stuff, right, with research and you know medical applications and pills and whatever that hey it benefits humanity and so on i never really got this i i created this thing out of my mind why should it be public domain uh, i i never understood that <laughs> it, also, it also depends on the creator whether they whether they care or not so for example back to the future you see i've got a delorean up there yeah yeah um, I, I covered the opening of Back to the Future, the musical in London, and I watched a preview with Bob Gale, who um, created it. And he told me that um, they never go after people who turn DeLoreans into the time machine because he's like, because he's like, it's a free advert for the movies. Right. So why yeah, would yeah, we do that? Yeah. It'd be a waste of time. So it, it okay. partly depends on, on how the creator feels about it. Okay. All right. What do, you, what do you think Ian will do really in the short term now? I mean, we they think obviously thinking, hey, if nothing else happens, 2035 is coming and maybe we lose a lot of what we have now that's exclusive. But I mean, in the short term, you think they're going to come up with a different kind of plan for the reboot of James Bond? It's something different. I mean, it's a $7 billion company. They probably want to keep it going. I mean, they are getting older. Maybe they just think, hey, we've made enough money. We're done. But probably not. <laughs> no, so um, I went to I went to the premiere of the uh, 007 Road to a Million at Baxter yes. Power Station, and uh, Barbara Rockley was there. I didn't see her though; I think she was at the back. But um, I did uh, have a brief interview with Greg Wilson, who's mm -hmm. the son of Michael G. Wilson, about his role in it, and it's just really interesting. Post No Time to Die, we've had 60th anniversary. Um, celebrations in their various yes. forms and then we've had the focus on the reality tv show which is now being greenlit for season two so i asked him a bit about that and his his involvement and and you know that he's expected to be the one to take over when his father and aunt retire he didn't really want to go into that and i did ask him right at the end where are you at with the next bond and and he said um it's not in development now but james bond will return one day but I think in reality, I mean, that's what you've got to say to the press. I think in reality, the wheel is always spinning. They're, yes. they're always thinking, uh, uh, looking around, thinking ahead. There's, lo there's always rumours about talks with actors like Aaron Taylor-Johnson. Mm -hmm. uh, when I interviewed Martin Campbell, uh, the director of Casino Royale and GoldenEye, about the process and auditioning Henry Cavill, um, which was great. That story got picked up in Variety and Hollywood Reporter. I was very pleased with that. He was just... He said, "Oh, it's all rubbish. Like, it, and I, I doubt it's officially started yet. But you never know if there's like rumblings. Sometimes these things turn out to be true in in an unofficial capacity. Um, but I think the real challenge now is they've never killed Bond before. So what happens next? And what <laughs> yeah. that would be a challenge. Yeah, yeah, what I found... kind of important. They yeah. could pull a Sir Arthur Conan Doyle 
and bring them back. Yeah. <laughs> I think what I found really interesting is the average film fan on the street doesn't quite comprehend how it can continue. The best way I explain it is, well, there's always like these multiple Batman movies or Joker movies. It's just, you have just have to, in your mind, imagine it's in another world, in a, yeah. in a multiverse. It's as though the other films never happened. But whereas before, I think the logic was that Sean Connery's bond to Piers Brosnan was the same man, but he just didn't age, which is why you get like Roger yeah. Moore at the grave of George Lazenby's yeah. wife's a wife, you know, and then yeah. Piers Brosnan being told he's a um, a relic of the Cold War. So he's always yeah. been there like a cartoon character who never ages. But then we had the reboot with Craig at its Casino Royale. He, the, the, you know, he doesn't have his license to kill, but Judy Dench is there. So this must be like yes. in the Marvel sense a variant of Judy Dench's is M. So the way the way I describe it is that's what they're going to do. It's going to be as though the Daniel Craig era never happened. All the other films uh, never happened. Total reboot, but with the same characters in in the modern world. In the same way that we already get with these continuation novels like the Charlie Higson one I've got over there on His Majesty's Secret Service yes. about set in 2023 but about a bond in his 30s. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, but yeah, I Ian Productions uh, never, their strong suit has never been continuity anyway, so I guess they could just <laughs> Ignore what they've done and say, pay no attention to that man behind the screen. <laughs> now, I want to kind of go a little bit different tack here and go into back, back to the public domain piece of this and talk about what's happened with other properties in the public domain. So you've got, you know, Charlie Chaplin, the Marx Brothers, you mentioned Sherlock Holmes. How is it, if it is, how is 007 going into the public domain going to be different to what happened to Chaplin and Marx Brothers, because you didn't really see a lot of redos of those. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, part of it is, is is it relevant to today? Mickey Mouse certainly is, but I don't know if a Charlie Chaplin, remaking a Charlie Chaplin film is, unless a director uh, is inspired by it to do a kind of spiritual remake, which often happens. Like, there's a current award season movie out now called The Holdovers, which is excellent. But I looked into it and the writer-director, he basically took the story from um, a French film, a black and white French film from decades ago that I've never heard of. So he thought that it was, it was warranted to do that. I imagine that film's probably in the public domain now. I don't know. But yeah, it depends. People care. People do still care about Sherlock Holmes, but there isn't 60 years of an established Sherlock Holmes film franchise. There is just There are multiple incarnations, a bit like... Batman, but Batman's rights are under the Warner Brothers studio label because uh, mm. the DC Studios or like Marvel is under Disney. Um, mm. So you have you you have estates uh, selling the rights for a certain period of time to a studio or to an individual. Um, mm. James Cameron had the Terminator for a while, and then it but th then it went to another studio, and then it went back to him. I think so. It's 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 complex. Yeah, it's interesting with Sherlock Holmes, for instance. I mean, there's been so many iterations of Sherlock Holmes that have certainly gone way beyond anything Sir Arthur Conan Doyle had written. Um, I have his autograph, by the way, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I collect historical autographs. Cool. So, I mean, that that's the kind of thing. It's like someone's granted additional rights to or 
it's public domain and they can say, hey, we can make up anything we want about Sherlock Holmes. Is that how that works? Or is this what's going to happen here? Or like we talked about before, or is it going to be tied to the Fleming books? It's going to be interesting to see how this all works out or doesn't. <laughs> yeah, because the Sherlock Holmes, for example, just before the rights were lost, it were in the public domain. The estate, I think, would brought a case against the Netflix movie Enola Holmes because they didn't like the depiction of Sherlock Holmes in that for some reason. But I suppose if if you only got like a couple of years left, you may as well go for what you can. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the ways that you know the franchise has made money has been over things like the toys and and you know. You have a you have a car back there, or you have a little Nelly behind your shoulder there. Yes, right. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. the toys and stuff like that are part of the film franchise, mm. not yes. the books. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So if someone, if if Dan and I decided we were going to do Spy Movie Navigator Productions, we were going to do a remake of Goldfinger, and we wanted to bring out an Aston Martin. And and then have our own series of toys associated with that. I mean, are we going to be able to get away with that? Do you think? <laughs> I think We're you are here. <laughs> I think you are as long as it's uh, it, again. It would be like I suppose I'll talk to a lawyer, see what they say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I think I, I imagine the base level of that would be what what is in the book that couldn't be conflated with or or, or compared to like the the Goldfinger movie. I mean, there'll be some things that are just lifted from the goal, from the book and put in the Goldfinger movie. But mm-hmm. then if it's just directly from the book, then you can use it, I would assume. Whereas yeah, yeah, the yeah. things they make up from the movie, then, you're, then you'd be ripping off the movie. So yeah, that's going to be the key question. Yeah. I think that's yeah. the key. <laughs> what can you actually use? If you stick only to the book, then there's, okay, you, you understand the boundaries. If yeah. it's not, if it goes beyond that, it could be interesting because the Aston Martin, I mean, Ian Productions, the ones who created that monster with with that, right? And and a lot of the other, the music, the gun barrel, all that kind of stuff, like we talked about before. So, yeah, this is a, this, this is a big deal. <laughs> you know, with what you've seen in the industry, if Ian Productions called you up and say, hey, George, we need some guidance here. Is how do we make the most money we can in the next 11 years before James Bond goes in the public domain? What guidance would you give them? Ooh, I think I'd probably give them what they want. The guidance that they, they kind of already know anyway, because it's the, it would be the guidance Cubby gave Michael and Barbara, which is don't, don't let them mess it up, which is, I think it's often misquoted as don't mess it up, but it was actually don't let other people mess it up. And I think they know what works what people want and that would be obvious things like James Bond remaining a man because that the, the character is male and a very masculine character it would be getting a star who is good looking can do action can do can do comedy is right for the role and then having all the tropes people want but then doing something different with it which you know it's just what is a James Bond film but the same again please but different um <laughs> I think I think something that they could that I'd, I'd like to see them do before copyright changes is reboot iconic villains. Like we've already had Blofeld, and there was all this stuff around Rami Malek Safin being Doctor No, which also a bit disappointing. Mm, all right, he wasn't, but I, I would love to see Doctor No and Goldfinger come back. You don't have to call the movies that, 
but they could they could um, make the most of using those villains before other people in ten years' time want to do that with a novel. It might even put them off doing it if it's been done too recently. That's a good point. And would they uh, would they timestamp that like oh this happened before Doctor No the movie with Doctor No still alive or would they just ignore that and say yeah 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 whatever. other other universe yeah yeah like you know like the joke the you know like there's the Jared Leto Joker the Joaquin Phoenix Joker and they all kind of exist at the same time but in another yeah. world I imagine yeah. I imagine it would be like that yeah. okay, okay let's shift gears here a little bit and I want to go back to something you mentioned a bit ago so Dan and I have made the decision that for our shows we aren't going to talk about rumors for casting right just because you know it's crazy with what's what's out there that said we may not talk about it but we can ask you about it and (laughs) we we know that you did an article last month where you were talking about david johnson as a potential bond um do you mean aaron taylor johnson uh no the guy from murder in the Oh yes, murder is easy. Yeah, yes. Yeah, you had a, you had an article talking about him as a potential. Hey, this, there's rumor here about that. Do you think he has a chance? And if not, do you do you kind of have a favorite that you you see being the next Bond? Yeah, I think what often happens is in especially if there's a young, handsome British star who's in their twenties, thirties, or early forties, and they do something Bondy, people on social media are like. They should be the next Bond. Often it's like wearing a tux, which is what he was doing. But he was also, when I watched that and I thought he's quite suave and debonair. And in a way, it's almost like, it's almost like a Bond audition, a bit like um, James Norton. And I think it was the BBC's McMafia. I think the opening scene was in a tux in a casino. So there was suddenly like people going, wow, he should be James Bond. Of course, yeah. some of this though is actually just quite helpful for stars profiles i'm sure their agents kind of encourage them to <laughs> wear a tux on a on a red carpet i remember when bridgerton came out and reggie jean page suddenly yes. buzz around him yes and when i went on getty getty images uh was journalists i got my photos there was some very bond pictures of him on the red carpet in, in a tux with a watch doing this <laughs> and he wrote on his twitter page it's there was an advert for bridgerton um, but the the message at the top of it said "shaken and stirred," and I thought, "Why do I be like that?" It won't necessarily just be because they want to be Bond. It'll be because they want press about that, so that it'll sure. help their career. Mm-hmm. So it's it works kind of kind of both ways in that regard. I think all that we really know is that the next James Bond will be an actor in their thirties, because Michael G. Wilson said that. He said Bond's a veteran. So he can't be in his 20s. And I mean, he could be in his early 40s, I suppose. He did used to be in the early days when they when they cast him. But I think nowadays, if they want 10 years out of an actor, it'll be, a you know, like Daniel Craig was only about 37. So I think it'll be either somewhere between early, mid, late 30s, starting off the career as Bond, which is why people think there's a, a lot of potential in someone like Aaron Taylor-Johnson, mm-hmm. just because he's... 33 athletic british crucially yes and can do a bit of comedy but also because he's on the cusp of becoming a star he's not quite an a-lister yet but he's i think he's about to become one a bit like daniel craig was that guy from layer cake when he was mm-hmm. cast i don't mm-hmm. think that so someone in their 30s someone who isn't 
a major megastar or associated with another big brand like Henry Cavill, Superman. Yeah. Dan, you and I are out. <laughs> Turn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. When all of this happens, and we, you know, we've had six, 60 years of James Bond in the movies, and worldwide fans just love when another Bond movie is coming out. So given all of this, how bullish are you on the future of James Bond in these next movies, few movies that might be coming out or whatever happens in these next 10 years? How bullish are you on that future of Bond? How, do, well, how am I feeling about it? You yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Will it be as successful? Like we're all waiting for the next Bond movie, like No Time to Die. With the pandemic, we had to wait an extra eighteen months or whatever it was. Are people going to be feeling the same way? Like, oh man, we can't wait to the next Bond movie. Are they at this point thinking, ah, you know, what the hell are they going to do? Yeah, I, I, I think there will be a lot of buzz because I think Ian Productions realized they have a luxury brand, which means that they they want it to be not too often like a marvel movie which is why we don't get one every two years like in the old days they like to take yeah. the time because whoever the new bond is they're a brand ambassador as well they are the face of the franchise and i think the industry has has changed significantly in that whoever you know daniel craig is a bond like no bond we've seen before in that he becomes a producer, he's earning hundreds of millions. He's he's gushed over by the by Barbara Broccoli. Yes, he he can command. You know, making a fifth film with a gap almost as big as between License to Kill and Goldeneye when there were issues around when can we make the next one. So I so I think in that regards, we're going to have another megastar. Like that, but you know, we, we see that already with the way that TV stars can become a, a listers now. Like, take a, a similar franchise like Doctor Who, British TV show, which has been on uh, six, just over sixty years as well, yeah. and has a main lead character who whose face changes. Stars f from that, you know, TV stars didn't transition to movie stars in the same way, and it'd probably be the biggest thing they they did. Whereas now. A supporting character, like a, a companion, like Karen Gillan, can become a Hollywood A-lister. So, yeah, it's completely changed because we're, we're in a golden age of TV where movie yes. stars will come down to TV and t TV stars will, will go up and move around. So I think, yeah, yeah I point. think it will be a big deal. Yeah. All right. That's a good point. All right. I've got one other question for you here, George, and, and it's a total, total shift in everything. And it's just the fact that Dan and I are here in the U.S. and you're in the U.K., and has the movie market come back? You know, like when I go to a movie now, I might have, you know, we just, we just went and saw Mean Girls, the pre-release Mean Girls. I think there were six of us in the theater. Mm. When I saw Willy Wonka, we were, my wife and I were the only two in the theater. And so has theater started coming back more in the UK than it has here? And, you know, what's your experience been? Well, I think the pandemic changed everything. We started having hybrid releases. People already, I mean, even before the pandemic, cinemas were struggling with, oh, streaming now means people can just need a really good reason to go outside. I don't know what the movie theatre scene is like as much in the US, but in the UK, it meant that some of our big cinema or movie theatre franchises were like, okay, I mean, you guys have AMC. We call that uh, Cineworld, that's, right. you, you get the introduction of like 4DX, the chair moves, you know, you can't get that at home. Or yeah. um, o our Odeon cinemas are now luxury. So you get like a big armchair that you can put your feet up on, like, and sometimes you can have a meal. 
you know, that, it had to be a real experience or IMAX, you know, that, 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 that already existed. So they were, they were already um, dealing with that in the pandemic hits and people are even more stuck at home. You get Netflix movies, etc. I'm finding now that apart from like big film fans, people will not go and they'll just wait for streaming unless it's an event film. So since the pandemic, the only, I mean, I go to lots of critics readings anyway, they're always packed because it's free and you're, and you're covering it. But when I go to my my local cine world, my local AMC, it is pretty empty. Yeah. The only exception was Barbenheimer, Barbie and Oppenheimer, because yeah. those were event films. So people will still people will still go out for those. Yeah. But other than that, less so. And I, you know, especially if it's um a lot of these award season movies are just financed and distributed by Apple TV Plus, Netflix. And they'll now get a little bit of time in this in the movie theater before going to the streaming service because they want them to be considered for awards. I think you have to have two weeks, I think, yeah. um, in, in a movie theater. Yeah. And therefore people are like, well, I'll just wait to, until yeah. I can watch it at home. I mean, my my parents are huge film fans, but since the pandemic, they're like, I don't think I'm ever going to the movie theater ever again. And and my father just waits for like Oppenheimer because <laughs> at home you can, it's just fifteen ninety nine or pounds yeah. to to rent it. And he's like, I can pause it. My t- you know our TV's big in four K. I can go get a drink. I don't have to go anywhere. You know. Yeah. So I think that's massively changed. However, for Bond, I, that's event cinema. People will still come out for Bond. I hope so because it changes the whole yeah. revenue model too. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the the being able to pause it. So. I've been going to some of the Indian spy movies lately, and films in India still have an intermission in the middle of them. But they're pretty and, long, aren't they? Well, some, but I mean, some of, I mean, look at, look at the MI Dead Reckoning, right? The two hours and 43 minutes. Yeah. Boy, an intermission in the middle of that would have been kind of nice. Yeah. And even in a two hour or an hour and 45 minute Indian movie, I've had it where there's been an intermission, mm-hmm. which it, it, I think it helps. With that, oh, I need to pause either because I got to take a bio break or I want to go get another cocktail or whatever. The other thing is here, I've been going to the theaters Well, they'll bring you a cocktail. So you can be sitting in your comfy chair, watching it on the big screen and have yeah, yeah. bring you, yeah. bring you Like a you said, George, you can make it an experience and then yeah. maybe people will go. Yeah. But you're right, though. A lot of people are, are not returning, but maybe for the Bond films, they will. But it changes the revenue model, too, for all these companies spending hundreds of millions of dollars on films, on production, right? It's like if we're not going to get that revenue stream from theaters, which was their main revenue stream before that Mm. changes the way they're going to look at things and how much they're going to spend uh, producing a movie right yeah look look at like um uh, the the latest indiana jones film came out last year one of disney's biggest flops Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah i mean probably lots of reasons why i imagine part of it is the last one wasn't wasn't very good harrison ford's very old who's this franchise for apart from men in their 30s 40s and 50s now well you know the Personally, I think they should have James Bonded it a long time ago and, you know, keep replacing the character. But they it didn't make any money. So instead of the usual model of, um, like with Marvel movies, they make enough money, we're going to put it on Disney Plus in like four months' time. They yes. stretched that out till the end of the year because they wanted people, they wanted to make up more money 
from people buying it on pre- premium on on demand for like yeah. 20, 20 bucks or whatever so now as, as the industry is going on and you know you you've got to come up with stuff we, we like take bond you've got to come up with stuff to write about about bond and right now we're in this hiatus so how do you go about figuring out what and what is the next article you're working on that's bond related um oh, it's, it's a real mixture so on a personal level, it would be, uh, do I have any ideas, personal ideas or opinions, uh, which are always the most fun ones. So before No Time to Die was even announced, I did an article saying why James Bond is going to die in Bond 25. I just kind of believed it would happen, and it and it did. I also predicted in Avengers Endgame that Iron Man would die and Captain America would live. I just think narratively it, it kind of makes makes sense. Um, so those are fun. So I, I, I often do like prediction things. My, my latest one was when when are we going to hear anything about the next Bond? And my current prediction is, well, if you look at the last time around, uh, two, 2002, Dine of the Day, we then had an announcement three years after that. And it's it'll have been three years since No Time to Die come, you know, this this fall. So I think it'll. my best guess is it will be around then. And then it will be released late 2025. So that kind of thing's fun. Also, just there'll be Bond news. Like if um, a Bond actor does an interview, you can do a piece on that, your own opinion on it. If an actor is asked about, do they want to play the next Bond? There's there's Bond odds. It's always a fun one, uh, that which are often changing based on what people say. Or, you know, if, if a famous actor wears a tux on TV, <laughs> that kind of thing. And and then yeah, ex- yeah, ex- exclusive interviews like uh, last year I interviewed Martin Campbell and got that great exclusive about Henry Cavill's James Bond audition and what what it's like for them in those secret, which just fascinated me. Um, and uh, when I went to the Faroe Islands, getting to write up a piece about visiting yeah. visiting Bond's grave and talking to the guy. This is the this is I love this the guy um, who owns the land. He kind of worked out they were going to kill Bond, even though Daniel Craig didn't go there. They were just filming the shots for him to be CGI'd in. And he hedged his bets. And six months before No Time to Die came out, he had a gravestone built and he put it, and he's, he's a farmer. And so he put it in his slaughterhouse. So the oh. biggest secret in film history was, was hiding in this, in this farmer's <laughs> shed. Wow. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, he was being resourceful it. too. You got to give him credit for that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's pretty damn good. Yep. Uh, All right. So, George, if you know, as you're doing this stuff, you're coming up with more content. How do people find your work? You know, where should they look for you? Yeah. Okay. So I'm on. Um, uh, so that we there's, in the UK, there is a national newspaper called the Daily Express, mm-hmm. which, which actually used to serialize um, Ian Fleming's Bond novels. So we have a, a big a big Bond history connection there, back when the novels were originally coming out. And the website of that publication is called express.co.uk. And in in the showbiz entertainment section, there's a film section where uh, my regular Bond coverage comes up. But I mean, if you just go on one of those and click the hyperlink James Bond, it'll give you all the articles for everything that we've we've done recently. Yeah. That's all awesome. right. Hey, George, thanks so much for being part of our show and talking about the future of James Bond. Thank My you. pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Love to have you back for some more stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. All right. Hey, that's a wrap. This has been Dan. And Tom. 
of SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast app and on our YouTube channel as well. Lots of fun stuff there. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you spending time with us.